You're listening to the Good News in the Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. Uh, Exodus chapter 14, we continue our series this morning on favorite Bible stories. Many of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians... Some stories in the Bible that, that we really wish we could have been present to see. First thing that comes to mind probably are the, the miracles of Jesus. Children, wouldn't it be amazing to, to be present when Jesus made blind people to see and, and lame people to walk and when he raised someone like Lazarus from the dead? There are other passages as well, maybe Elijah and the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, uh, some of the, the great, great stories in the book of Judges, 
David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den. Our passage this morning, I think, is one of those. One of those passages that, that we would love to have been present to see that amazing event. This, this is an incredible account of God miraculously opening up the sea and allowing his people to walk through on dry land. It's an amazing display of, of God's power in crushing the, the most powerful army in the world at that time. And, and most importantly, it's a, it's a story about God's commitment to his people. That, that God would do whatever was necessary in order to save and to rescue his people from a certain destruction. And, and I think that this is a, a great passage for us to look at on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. This Thursday, our minds will will naturally turn to the many, many things for which we have to be thankful for. And, and we should be thankful all of the time, of course, but, but this Thursday we will think of those things that, that God has blessed us with. And, and my prayer for us is that this passage would, would stir our hearts to thankfulness today and, and this coming week as we think about who God is, as we think about what God does for his people, as you, Christian, think about what God has done for you, I, I pray that this passage would, would stir our hearts this morning. We want to look at this passage in three parts. Uh, first of all, there is Pharaoh's change of heart. Uh, secondly, there is Israel's complaint. And third, there is God's gracious rescue. Pharaoh's change of heart. Israel's complaint and God's gracious rescue. Uh, most of us know the, the background of this story. Um, Israel had been slaves in Egypt for a long time, 400 years. It was, a, it was a long, dark, difficult period of time. And At the end of chapter 2, they, they cry out to God for help. And In fact, go back there for just a minute. Go back to chapter 2 and notice verse 23. Exodus 2, verse 23 says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Whenever you read that language, God saw and God knew, it, it means that God is now going to act. He's going to do something on behalf of his people. And children, the first thing that he does, you remember he calls Moses to, to be his spokesperson, to be the one who will lead his people. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he says to Pharaoh, the Lord says, let my people go. And do you remember what Pharaoh says? Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? I, I have no idea who he is, and I'm not going to listen to what he's saying. And then Pharaoh makes the Israelites work even harder. And Moses goes back to the Lord, and he says to the Lord, Lord, why have you done this? Why, why are you allowing this to happen? It's just getting worse and, and God says, Moses, I'm still in control, and you're going to see my power very, very soon. 
And we all know what happens. God sends 10 plagues upon the Egyptians. The Nile River is turned to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, dead livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. But we all know that after each plague, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh refuses to let Israel go. And then God says to Moses, I'm going to bring one more plague upon Egypt. And after this one, Pharaoh's going to let you go. Look ahead at chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 4. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt such as there has never been nor ever will be again. Pharaoh hears this and he says, no, I'm still not going to let you go. And then we know what happens. Death comes upon the Egyptians. Look at chapter 12, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And the last half of verse 30 adds, and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And finally, Pharaoh relents. Finally, Pharaoh says to Moses and to Aaron, go, get out of here. And and that's what Israel does. Israel leaves Egypt. And what's interesting is that when they leave Egypt, God doesn't lead them on the shortest route to the promised land. We all typically take the shortest route when we're trying to get somewhere. You have, to, you have to go somewhere and you take your phone and you punch the address into Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever and you look for the shortest, quickest way to get there. If you, if you had to go to the Sacramento airport this afternoon, you're going to probably try to find the quickest way to get there, which is probably the, the 99 to the 4 to the 5. You're not going to take the long route. Now, there are other ways to get to the Sacramento airport, but you're going to take the shortest, quickest route that you can. For Israel, the the shortest way to the promised land was through the land of the Philistines. But God doesn't take them that way. Why does God not do that? Well, it's because the Philistines were a, a very powerful people. And if Israel had to deal with them straight out of Egypt, they would become easily discouraged and want to go back to Egypt. The Lord is so kind. The Lord is so gracious and loving He takes Israel on this longer route, not only to keep them from discouragement, but also, as we're going to see, to deal a final death blow to Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh hears about this. He he hears about Israel's location, and he says to his people, Israel doesn't know what they're doing. Look at Israel. They're, They're lost. They're confused. They're trapped in the wilderness. I want to pause for just a moment and and think of this as a picture of how the world often views the church. The the world doesn't get us in many respects. The world looks at us, they look at what we do today, and they look at how Christians live their lives, and, and the world sees us as lost, confused, and helpless. 
The world looks at us that, that we are fools our lives to Christ and to his mission on this earth. We are fools for giving our children a Christian education, spending all that money that could be spent on other things. We are fools for devoting Sunday to God and to his people. We are fools for giving our time to serve in the church. We are fools in Corinthians 1 that God has chosen the foolish, stupid Israel, lost in the wilderness. And God does this so that he may show his power over Pharaoh, over the Egyptians, and so that God may be glorified. Remember at the beginning of all of this, remember what Pharaoh said about God. I don't know who Yahweh is. I don't even know, Moses, who you're talking about. Well, after all of this is over, Pharaoh will know who Yahweh is. But again, God often uses what looks like foolishness to the world to accomplish his purposes. And, and we sometimes might be tempted to think, you know, if the world just liked us more, if, if we were just more accepting to the world, if, if the world saw us as cool and hip and cutting edge, then maybe they would listen to our message. But, but that fails to account for the fact that, that no amount of coolness, no amount of acceptance can change the heart of the sinner. Nothing we do can bring a sinner from death to life. That's all the work of God. And so Pharaoh looks at this, and, and Israel is seemingly lost in the wilderness. And so Pharaoh has a change of heart. And, and Pharaoh says, what have we done? We, we just let our free slave labor go. Who's going to do all this work for us? Who's going who's to complete all the building projects we have planned? That was really stupid of us. And, and now, now that Israel's out there wandering and confused, we need to go after them. We need to bring them back. And so Pharaoh goes and he gets his chariot and he gets 600 elite chariots. He gets all the other chariots of, of Egypt. And Pharaoh and his army set out to go after Israel and bring them back to the land of Egypt. And they catch up to Israel. And, and the whole picture here is this is absolutely hopeless. Israel is on foot. Pharaoh and his army are in chariots, which was the most advanced form of weaponry in that day. This is a mismatch. This is, this is a, a major league baseball team playing a high school baseball team. This is an absolute mismatch. And that brings us to the second thing that we want to see, and that is Israel's complaint. You'll notice in verse 10, it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Children, imagine this is you. You, you are part of the people of Israel, and you have left Egypt, and you have made it to this big body of water, the Red Sea, and you turn and you look behind you, and here come the Egyptians, not on foot, in their chariots. And we're told here that, that the people of Israel fear greatly. Whom do they fear? Not God. They fear Pharaoh and his army. And verse 10 tells us that they now, now cry out to the Lord, not crying out for help, not crying out for rescue, not crying out for mercy, not saying, Lord, save us, but crying out in complaint. 
Verse 11, is it because, Moses, there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough places to bury us in Egypt? Did you really need to bring us out here to do that? Moses, we said to you, leave us in Egypt that we would serve the Egyptians. It would would be better for us to stay there. We would have at least been alive. Our families would have been alive. And now we're going to die. God's people are so often very fickle, aren't they? And we see this in our own lives. There are moments in our lives where we have great faith. We trust the Lord. God is sovereign. God is in control. And there are other moments in our lives where we're saying, God, why have you done this to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? If, if you look at verse 8, you, you look at the end of verse 8, it, it says that the people of Israel went out defiantly. Do you see that word, defiantly? The, the picture here is that, that Israel has gone out of Egypt with confidence, head held high, shoulders back, They've just seen the the power of God. They've seen what God has done in Egypt. God brought Pharaoh to his knees. And we're going out trusting the Lord. But now they've done a 180 degree turn. Any confidence, any trust in the Lord is now gone. And again, you, you see this in your life. I see this in my life. We're very fickle at times. In their minds, they're as good as dead. In front of them is the Red Sea, impassable body of water. And behind them is, is the most powerful army in the world. This isn't, you know, 20 Egyptians with sticks. This is a hundreds of chariots. Humanly speaking, there's, there's zero way out of this. And so they grumble and complain. God, why have you brought us here? Children, you probably know this isn't the first time that Israel will complain. They, they do it again in the very next chapter, chapter 15. They, they say the drinking water doesn't taste good. It's too bitter. They do it again in chapter 16. They, they complain about the food selection. You ever complain about the food at home? Well, Israel does that. We had better food in Egypt. Didn't matter that they were slaves. Didn't matter that they were forced into backbreaking labor. They thought the food was better. Chapter 17, they, they complain that there's nothing to drink. You know, complaining is, is one of those respectable sins, isn't it? Everybody does it. Not that big of a deal, except it is a big deal. And if we're honest, we, we will confess that we see it in our own lives. It's easy to grumble. It's easy to complain. It's easy to grumble about our circumstances, the things in our lives. But I'm thankful, and I know that you're thankful, that that God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. He's a God who rescues complainers. He's a God who rescues grumblers. And that's what we see here. The third part of our passage is God's gracious rescue. Moses says to the people in verse 13, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. And then he says, you, you see those Egyptians behind you? This will be the last time you see them. You'll never see their faces again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. I love that. 
Israel, you don't have to do anything. Just keep your mouth closed. Well, we'll come back to that in a minute, but, but this is such incredible grace on God's part. God, as I said a moment ago, God, God revealed his almighty power in the ten plagues. Now, now, we obviously were not present for that, but imagine the power on display in that. He, he delivered his people out of a horrible oppression. He, he promised to lead them through the wilderness and at the very first sign of trouble, we want to go back to Egypt. You brought us here, Moses, to kill us. But, but rather than casting them aside, rather than God saying, you know what, I'm done with you people. I've done all this for you, and, and now at the first sign of trouble, you want to go back, and you're going to complain. I'm going to find someone else. Instead of doing that, God says, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to rescue you. And you will never, ever see these Egyptians again. And notice what happens. Verse 19, the angel of God who had been leading Israel through the wilderness moves from the front and goes behind the people. And the pillar of cloud, which also had been in front of the people, also goes behind them. You see the picture? The picture is that God is now standing between his people and the Egyptians. That God is the defender and the protector of his people. It's a beautiful picture, right? That in a sense God has your back. So you can picture this whole scene in your mind. Israel is, is right at the Red Sea. They're right in front of the, 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 this large, impassable body of water behind them the Egyptian military and between them and the Egyptians stands the angel of God and the pillar of cloud now at this point children probably any one of you could come up here and I could give you my microphone and you could tell us the rest of the story we all know what happens right it's one of the most famous stories in the Bible Moses takes his staff and he he stretches his hand up over the Red Sea and God sends this powerful wind so that the waters of the Red Sea are divided. And, and God's people start walking through the middle of, of the Red Sea on dry ground. They got a water, a wall of water to the left, a wall of water to the right. It's been an amazing, amazing thing to see. And the Egyptians, Pharaoh says, we're going after him. And they go in the Red Sea as well. They start going down this, this path of dry ground that the Lord has made in the middle of the Red Sea. But at a certain point, notice what the Lord does. He, he throws the Egyptians into a panic. He, he clogs their chariot wheels. And the Egyptians say, we need to get out of here. Yahweh is fighting for his people. And so they start to flee. But it's too late. The Lord says to Moses, Moses, stretch your hand back over the sea so that the water may come crashing down on the Egyptians. And that's exactly what happens. And notice what God says about Pharaoh and his army. End of verse 28, not one of them remained. Wow. Not one of them remained. Israel gets to the other side and they... They look back, and on the seashore, the bodies of all the dead Egyptians. 
And they stand as you would if you had been there. They stand in awe of God's almighty power. Now we could stop right here this morning. And I could say to you all, isn't isn't God's power incredible? And and isn't isn't this a poignant reminder not to mess with God or his people? And both of those things are true. God's power is incredible. And and you are fighting a losing battle if you are fighting against God or persecuting his people. But there's more to this story than this. This this whole scene is a picture of our salvation. This whole scene is a a visible reminder of what God has done for us. First of all, it's a picture of our own hopeless condition. Brothers and sisters, this, this is who we were by nature. We have, as it were, or had, as it were, a a giant sea in front of us and a terrifying army military behind us. We are hopeless. We are stuck. There's nothing we can do to, to extricate ourselves from this predicament. Nobody in Israel said, I got an idea. Here's how we can get out of this. Because there was no way out. There was no way out, humanly speaking. That's who I was by nature. That's who you were by nature. There's nothing you could do to rescue yourselves from this. There's nothing you could have done to get yourself out of that condition. And then secondly, this is a a picture, of course, of, of Jesus fighting for us and Jesus winning the battle for us. And again, there was nothing that Israel could do that day God told them, just stay silent. Don't do anything. Don't say anything. There was nothing that I could do to rescue myself from my sin. There was nothing I could do to save myself from eternal judgment. God had to act on my behalf if I was to be saved. And he had to act on your behalf if you were to be saved. That's exactly what he did for us in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that this morning? Are you thinking to yourself, oh, I can do this. I can get out of this. I can work my way to heaven. I can work my way into God's favor. You can't. You can't. You must do as Israel is told here, do nothing. Remain silent. All we can do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him to deliver us. Brothers and sisters, just as God won the victory that day at the Red Sea, so he won the victory for us. Jesus went to the cross. He he bore the full weight of God's wrath that our sins deserve. We didn't do anything to earn our salvation. It's all by his grace. 
And if that is a foreign concept to you, maybe a new concept to you, maybe for, for your entire life you thought, well, i got to work my way to heaven. i got to join a church. i, I got to read my Bible. i got to pray more. i got to do good deeds. And then maybe, maybe God will let me in. If you've lived your whole life thinking that, I, I would love to talk to you this morning after the service. I would love to point you to the one who gave himself so that you may be saved. To remind you and to tell you that, that you may rest in Jesus. Give up on your works, give up on yourself. And trust in the one who came to deliver you for an impossible situation. It's all by his grace. The story is told of the, the little Hebrew boy, little Jewish boy, who came home one day from uh, Hebrew school, and uh, his mom asked him, as children, many of your moms may ask you, how was school today? She asked her little boy, what did, what did you learn today at Hebrew school? And the little boy said to his mom, uh, well, we learned the story of God leading his people through the Red Sea. And so mom said to her son, well, son, tell me, how did that happen? And the little boy said, well, the, the Egyptian army was chasing after God's people. And, and just when the Egyptians were ready to attack God's people, the Israeli Air Force came flying over and bombed the Egyptians. And, and then God's people threw down some pontoon bridges over the, the Red Sea and they made it safely to the other side. And the mom said, son, that, that's not how the story goes. And the little boy said to his mom, I know, mom. But if I told you what the teacher said really happened, you would never believe me. It's true, isn't it? This is a story that's almost impossible to believe. And yet that's what God did. And that's what God does on behalf of his people. He does the impossible. He does the, the unthinkable. Why? Why would he rescue us from an impossible situation? Because he loves us. Because he loves us and he keeps his promise to save his people. It's almost impossible to believe that I could be saved from my sin. It's almost impossible to believe that God would save someone like me. And yet in his great love and mercy and grace, that is what he's done. Christian, he's done the same for you. What is our response to that? What is, what is our response to this story that is almost too impossible to even, even imagine or believe or tell anyone? What is our response? If you have your Bible open, look ahead to just chapter 15. Notice how God's people responded to what they had just seen. Chapter 15, verse 1 says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, 
saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. That's how you respond to God's great work of deliverance for you. You say, God, you are my God, and I will praise you. For you did the unthinkable for me. You did the impossible for me. You did for me what I do not deserve, what I have not earned, what I could never merit. You did all of this for me. And so I will praise you. Isn't that the fitting response? To praise him. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.